welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Good morning. <laughs> My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here at Victory Church, and uh, I really feel privileged to be able to be here with you this morning and to be able to share um, a message which we've entitled Losing My Religion. Question mark. And you might think, well, what's all that about? And you may be used to us preaching in series because that's what we've been doing a little bit of late. But um, sometimes we just break away from those series and we're going to preach a message which is a topical message, something that's current, relevant, something that maybe is in our media at the time or whatever and that people are talking about. And this, this last couple of weeks, we've had just one of those topics that we'd love to talk about this morning. Um, you may have read, either in the newspaper or maybe on the internet, but um, you know, many of you would know Guy Sebastian and watch him on The X Factor and all of that sort of thing. But there were some comments, or there was an article, a couple of articles um, in the paper about him recently, and they were entitled different things. The crazy thing was, I read all these different articles, it was actually the same article, just with different headings in different, uh, by different um, papers, etc. But it said, Guy Sebastian loses his alter ego. Another one says, Guy Sebastian loses his religion. And another one said, Guy supports gay marriage. So, you know, you can, you can sort of get a bit of an idea of the different agendas of, of those that are actually um, putting out these sort of articles through the, the different headings, even though it was the same article. And so following that article, often, if you, again, if you're like me and you read it on the internet, you'll see that people write in straight away and they put in their comments. And there was a whole barrage of comments coming in, you know, some were in support of what Guy had to say or what that... What, Guy was reported as having said, some were, you know, some Christians were upset by what Guy had to say or what was being reported, and so on and so forth. And ultimately, as a result of all that, Guy himself um, put a response on Facebook. And I just want to just take a few things um, out of that response and just make some comments on them today in order that we might think. I hope that we weren't just one of those people who, who uh, just, just blindly just responds out of our initial reaction, our, our emotions or our feelings at the time, and, you know, maybe just agree with what. Guy's supposed to have said or disagree or get you know in his face a little bit um, because I think as Christians we should be better than that. We should really think and process and come up with considered decisions. We're, we're called to make right judgments about things. And so Guy um, he did uh, put this response. I'm just going to read you the start of that response. It says, "Hi everyone, smiley face. I realise that my recent comments in the news and on Twitter may have caused some confusion and controversial discussion." I'd like to take this opportunity to expand further on this topic and will attempt to articulate it in a more objective fashion and to explain its personal relevance for me. And so as I said this morning, we're, looking, we're entitling this message, Losing My Religion? Um, I mean, I like it when things like that are in the media. I don't know about you, but it certainly, for me, gives us an opportunity to talk about spiritual matters with those who normally would not be open to talking about such things. You know, they're happy to make comments about Guy and what they believe, and then we therefore are able to ask them about, you know, why they believe what they believe and so on. And so, so it can create, if we're clever, it can create a conversation and actually, I guess, possibly even bring a person closer to knowing God, even though the conversation itself might start seemingly a long way from that. All right, so like I said, it's important that we don't just have cliched answers or jump to conclusions, but because of the sake of those that we're actually going to be dialoguing with, that we need to process and think for ourselves, okay, how would I respond? What would I say if I was in Guy's shoes? Okay, things like that. Um, because many people have reacted. You know, some, some of the reactions are quite comical. One, one lady made this comment. She said, you don't have to believe in God to live a Christian life. 
which you know, I chuckled at. I was, it was funny and frustrating at the same time. And when you read some of those comments, people are saying stuff like that all the time, just, just nonsensical things, really. Um, but my aim today isn't really to make a call on where Guy's at, um, so much as to get us to think about some of the issues that he's actually touched on along the way. You know, some of his, some of his um, comments, I think, are just, just general observations and comments on the state of our world. And, you know, he's become a parent, he mentions that fact, since he's had Hudson, he's looked at the world differently. And again, so I think some of the things he said, for example, he says, at the end of the day, I think every person, every human being on earth is looking for the same things, like happiness, a sense of belonging, acceptance, and safety for their family. I believe these are the essences of life common to all people, and I firmly believe that if we all work together, we can eventually reach a solution. Now, again, there's some things in there that, that, that some Christians would really go to town on. They would try and, you know, look at what guys' eschatological um, theology would be. You know, what does he believe about end times? What is he really trying to mean through that? I'm thinking, let's just receive it as, as what it's meant to be. He's just a person. He's a dad. He's concerned about the direction that the world's heading. He's making some general observations about humanity. And I think most of us would agree that most people are there. Perhaps not everyone. There are certainly some sick and twisted individuals out there who may be you know, it would be very difficult to fit into some of those categories. But at the end of the day, you know, it would be nice if we could all put our bid in and sort of work towards making the world a better place to live in. All right, so let's not overthink that. But what I do want to have a look at specifically is, is three issues that he does touch on. The issues of growth, the issues of truth, and the issue of common ground. Okay, because he makes some quite um, pointed comments about those things. The first one, growth, he says this, I've grown a lot. In the last few years, due mainly to my marriage to Jules, and then being blessed with Hudson this year, I have come to appreciate people more and more. Later, uh, sorry, um, people and life a lot more. From my experience going down his letter a little bit, it says I feel my personal faith has evolved to take on this deeper perspective, and as a result, I feel a lot more accepting and generally connecting to others. Some of his grammar's not the best, but anyway, this is as it seems. Um, faith has taken a whole new dimension for me and my family and I think it is more relevant to our lives than ever before now many people have interpreted that somehow to, to, to mean that Guy has outgrown his Christianity he's grown up, you know, when he was a boy he was, had Christianity forced down his throat and now he's grown up, he's thinking for himself and he's left all that stuff behind that's the way some people have interpreted those comments based on their responses and their applause and their likes and all of that sort of thing um, a lot of non-Christian people really got behind what Guy was saying at this particular point Okay, but you know, I'm not necessarily sure that's what he is saying I mean, I, I know Guy a little bit I used to teach him um, when he came, first came to King's in year eight. I was one of his teachers and I taught him for five years in tech studies and Christian ed and a few other subjects as well. So I got to know him a little bit. Um, I remember seeing him the first time he sung at chapel and he was really nervous, but he did a pretty good job, I think. But, um, you know, so I've had a little bit to do with him and since then I've been in contact with other people who I used to teach and who are friends of his, you know, his growing up and perhaps his church experience and all that, who have been in contact with him, you know, reasonably rel- uh, regularly. And so they've also, I guess, kept me a little bit in the loop as to where he is as, as an individual. Okay, so that being the case, and then knowing, you know, the pressures that he's under as a Christian in the spotlight. You know, a few years ago, Australia's most famous virgin. Um, you know, carrying the, the expectation and the weight of the Christian community, knowing the way the media loves to get 
something that you do say, that you actually say, and then take it totally out of context and make it say something totally other. Knowing that, you know, at times he, it doesn't matter what he seems to say, he's going to get, you know, pressure. And, and, and expending, extending the benefit of doubt on all of that, what he says isn't a problem to me. The fact that he's talking about growth, I think, is a good thing. And when I think about my life, I can certainly relate to what he's saying. I mean, I grew up in a church that I absolutely loved, but the reality was I was pretty immature in, in um, my approach to, I guess, to people, to faith in general and, and faiths across the world, to even other denominations and even to other Christians. I mean, I, I thought, as many young people do, I mean, t- you know, the teenage years are the age of idealism. That's when everything is just black and white. I mean, you've got all the answers. Theology, what little bit of theology you know, it's absolutely correct and anyone else is wrong. Anyone relate to that or has done in the past? I mean, that's, that's the way it was. And so I thank God that he did something really significant for me when I finished teacher's college. And he took me out of my comfort zone, out of the security and, and, and just the, I guess, the privilege of being in a local church, Living Faith Fellowship at Tea Tree Gully. I loved it to bits. But he took me out of there and he placed me in Mildura into a church environment that was kind of like in self-destruct mode. And the, the result of that was that um, I, I needed to get around and, and, and find out which church to go to. And, and there were some really exciting things happening amongst young Christians in Mildura at the time. But the odd thing about it was it wasn't one particular church. It was just Christians from all sorts of churches getting together, despite all the nonsense that was going on around the place in, in some of the other churches. And so it really, I guess, opened my eyes to the broader body of Christ. Another thing that happened is I lobbed into, into Mildura Tech, as it was at the time, and the first thing I did, pretty much, was start arguing with the chaplain. <laughs> well, we started arguing with each other because, you know, I was from a Pentecostal background. He was very much a Calvinist and, you know, very much against the things of the Spirit. It's all about the Word. And so our first, you know, initial reaction was to clash with each other because we were different. And then we woke up to ourselves. Well, hang on a minute. There's two Christians in this school that we know of. There's about a thousand atheists or, or worse. And or, there's a thousand people who, who aren't Christians. There's probably a few others around the place that we don't know of yet. So how ridiculous is it if you and I focus on our differences and fight? Really, we've got to get on the same page. So we did get on the same page. We ran a youth group together. We had a ball, became best friends. Once we decided to put our differences aside and focus on the things that we had in common. So I so appreciate my time uh, in Mildura for that very fact. I think that is a significant thing that God did in me. And then ultimately I came back taught in King's Baptist Grammar School, which again was a, a stretching experience at many levels because... Um, you know, there's, again, a broad scope of, of, Christi- of people from different Christian backgrounds, from all sorts of traditions. And so there's, there's challenges that come with that. You know, you need to um, not be so dogmatic, not be so opinionated. You need to know what you believe and hold on to that, but do so in grace and all of those sorts of things. And so there's some of the things that God has taught me along the way. Even with regards to other faiths, I think, you know, not necessarily my view has changed, but certainly my approach has changed. You know, often in the church, I think we tend to focus on the evils or the dangers or the perils or the error of what other people believe. And the trouble is with that, all it tends to do is isolate us from other people. We get judgmental, we get critical. And certainly for me, I, would, I used to love to win an argument more so than really think too much about the person. And I think one of the things that God has done in me over time is to change my approach. What are you laughing at, Kelly? Can't believe it. <laughs> Whereas now, I guess, I try and think a little bit more and try and be a bit more faithful in representing Jesus 
um, because sometimes an argument isn't always what's required. I remember Pastor Paul Benithan, who many of you have seen preach on this pulpit, you know, he said, sometimes it's better to lose an argument and keep a friend. Because you can, you can talk about stuff another day when maybe their circumstances are different, maybe their worldview has been messed up a little bit. You know, better to keep the friendship and, and live for the future than burn all your bridges now for the sake of just getting a few points. All right, so as we, begu- as we grow um, in our faith, there are some things that we should ultimately become more certain about. If you've been a Christian any length of time, I trust that you are more certain about the fact that God is real. I trust that you're more certain about the fact that God loves you. I trust that you're more certain about the fact that God is good. I trust that you're more certain about the fact that God is wise. There are certain things that just we're going to, just through experience and time knowing God, that we're going to, we are going to get a little bit more tenacious, a little bit dogmatic about some things. But there are other things that we're going to realize, hang on a minute, I perhaps need to hold that a little bit more loosely. I mean, I mentioned guys you know, eschatology before, his end time view, you know. I remember when I, the first time I heard anything about end times, it was a certain guy was speaking and he was very dogmatic about what he believed and he pulled out all these scriptures and, and it just seemed like the ultimate argument. Man, this guy has got the sum total of all truth on this subject because it was all I'd heard. But as I, and I spoke to my pastor about it and he, and he, gave me a few other alternatives and some other things that perhaps I hadn't considered and scriptures that weren't taken into consideration in this particular man's presentation. And so I had to adjust my theology a little bit with regards to end times. And, and you know, the reality is there are things like that in our Christian walk where we need to recognise what we need to hold on to and not let go of and other things we need to hold loosely because we're going to need to adjust those things along the way. You know, sometimes we have a theology on certain areas that is based on one or two scriptures. But... As you go through life, some of the experiences that we, that we have in life and some of the other scriptures that we begin to read as we get into the habit of reading our Bible begin to discount or at least call into question some of those things that we held on to dogmatically. You know, there are things in the church at the moment, you know, it could be t- things like the prosperity gospel or healing and you know, end times. These things are often quite controversial and people can be really dogmatic about them on the basis of a few scriptures, but sometimes just the reality of life knocks some of those idealisms out of you. You know, healing is a good one, isn't it? I want to have a theology that God responds to faith, that God loves us, that God heals, etc., etc. But at the end of the day, you know, whereas in my idealism many years ago, I would have believed that God heals everybody, and if they don't, it's just their lack of faith, and rah, 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 rah. you begin to realize that's not really the way it is. You know, Elisha, a prophet of God, died of his illness. So my experience and my knowledge of Scripture helps me to adjust my theology to suit the situation. So our goal, ultimately, if we're talking about growth, the ultimate measure, the mile stick, is Jesus himself. And again, so whereas before I, I might have thought I was right in some certain areas, certainly the, the way that I approach things, the dogmatism, the antagonism, the, you know, all of those things were very unlike Jesus in the way that he approached life. And so I've let go of some of those things in order to embrace something more, hopefully, of the nature and the character of Christ in the way that I approach people, and hopefully then can help them to help themselves. So that's the first thing, is the issue of growth. We're called to grow. We shouldn't get nervous when we hear that people have have moved on in their faith and they no longer hold on to some of the things that they held dear. I know there are people in this church who've come from other churches, and there are things that you've let go of in order to come to this church. There are some things that you've found new and refreshing as you've come here. And so some of the things that you've, you've believed, you've, you've let go of in order to embrace something new and you've checked it out, hopefully in the scriptures, you say, yeah, this makes sense. 
I mean, every church ultimately has strengths and weaknesses theologically and in practice. And so, you know, none of us have the sum total of, of truth. None of us are perfect in our practice and in, our, in the way that we work out our faith. And so we need to be open to learning, open to growing, open to reading and seeing things that we haven't seen before in Scripture. All right, so that's the, the first thing that Guy touched on is that issue of growth. The second thing is the issue of truth. He says religion is a very personal thing. And various cultures express their faith in their unique way. Who can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that someone is right and someone else is wrong? I understand every religion traditionally believes it held a different view. But I think if we take the time to look closer, we'll discover that we are really looking at the same thing from a different angle. Not better, not worse, just different. Now that comment, I mean, those particular comments, that's where the controversy is right there. I mean, some people are just going to lap that up. Yeah, all roads lead to God. So glad God's got over himself and over Christianity and just realised that it's all this, you know, etc. Others, it's like, oh, that's like a red rag to a bull to Christians. You know, stone him, crucify him, whatever, whatever it takes. Get this guy out of here. You know, that's, that's the way, that, that's the responses that people have had on Facebook and in the papers, on the websites, etc., 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 but to me, before I, you know, I've obviously got some opinions on those words, but before I want to tear Guy down and rip into him and start to discredit him in front of others, or just go along with everything he says because it's more comfortable, makes me more liked perhaps by some people, I want to ask a question. And the question I want to ask is what does he mean by religion? What does he mean by religion? Because many people use religion to refer to Christianity in general. You know, give me that old-time religion. It's talking about Christianity. It's, and, and so many people, when they talk about religion, what, they, what comes to mind for them is Christianity in all its various shapes and forms. Often, you know, pictures of steeples and churches and pews and stained glass windows. That's, their, that's what they mean by religion. And if that's what he means by religion, well, I think, you know, that's cool. Yes, we are all looking at the same thing from different angles. And we do ultimately worship around the same king. And I have no problem with that whatsoever. In fact, I don't think Paul would have had a problem with that approach if that's what he means. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-4 to 4 says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. In other words, we need to grow up. I give you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? worldly? Are you not acting like mere men, for when one man says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Paul was addressing some of the issues in the church. You know, we're Baptists, we're Catholic, we're Anglican, we're Pentecostal. And, and, and Paul said, settle down, guys. It's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Peter. It's about Jesus. Let's never forget that. We worship around him. And yes, by virtue of the teacher that we've been under, you know, we're going to pick up perhaps some of um, Peter's idiosyncrasies and perhaps we're going to you know, pick up on some of Apollos' favourite theology. And, you know, so in our practice, there may be certain differences that we have, but at the end of the day, we worship around Jesus. And so you know, if you come to Victory Church, there's a certain style of music and there's a cafe out there and there's a whole bunch of things that are us. Whereas if you go to an Anglican church down the road, things are going to be a little bit different. But at the end of the day, it's the same Lord. It's the same Saviour. Okay? No problem at all with that, if that's what Guy's saying. If, on the other hand, he's talking about all religions 
being the same. And so as a Buddhist, as a Hindu, as a Muslim, as a Christian, we're all basically looking at the same thing, just from different angles. That's where I, and I think Paul would have problems, and I think any Christian who understands what Christianity is will have problems. Not because we um, want to be bigoted or argumentative or anything else or controversial, but just because there's just no way that you can actually make that statement and adhere to truth. Now, the casualty when you make a statement like that is truth. There's only two ways that we can make a statement that says all religions are basically the same and all religions will lead us to God. There's only two ways you can make that statement. One is to be ignorant of the differences in different religions. If we don't know what religions say, if we don't know the difference between Islam and Hinduism and Christianity and Buddhism and so on and so forth, we don't know the differences, well, of course, it's very easy to say, oh, they're all basically the same because they all want people to be good people. They all want a bit of religion in people's lives, so they're all the same. That's easy, but that's just based on ignorance. The other, the other way you can make that statement is to actually depart from rational thinking, to be irrational, to depart from reason. You know, one plus one equals two is a statement. It's a rational statement. Okay, it's based on reality. If I say two equals 47, I've got problems. Okay? The only way I can say that is by redefining the terms. Coming up with an alternate reality that doesn't match real reality. The lady who said the comment about, I don't think you need to believe in God to be a Christian... That's redefining the terms. Because a Christian has a, you know, Christianity, Christian, there's a a definition associated with that. It's about being a follower of Christ. Following Christ by inference, you know, says that we believe that he exists, that he is God, and all of those sorts of things that follow out of that. Okay, so that lady just doesn't understand that. She's tried to redefine the terms. She's become irrational in her thinking. John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus made this telling comment, and again, this is just one of many comments that support this particular view, but he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's a whole lot of things there that he's just taking for granted. The existence of a Father, the existence of truth, the existence of life, etc. And he says that no one comes except through him. So that's a statement that can be either true or false. I mean, Jesus could be lying, he could be deluded, or it could be true. They're the only two alternatives. And I think, again, as Christians, we need to be able to acknowledge, yeah, we could be wrong. Let others prove it. But if we try and claim that what Jesus said is consistent with the claims of Muhammad and Buddha, etc., well, then we've got problems because they are all saying mutually exclusive things. So what am I saying about Guy? (laughs) Am I saying that he's ignorant or that he's irrational? Look, I don't think so. I'm not trying to say. I think possibly he's trying to be diplomatic. He's probably he's been he's been in this game now for what? When was it? 2003 when he won Australian Idol or something. So he's been in it for about 10 years. He's taken a lot of flack, and I reckon he's probably gun shy. He's probably had so many of this. And he, I don't know when he wrote that letter. It might have been two o'clock in the morning. And again, he's trying to be sensitive, he's trying to not offend people. But the reality is when you do that, you're always, you know, you're always going to offend people. So I can't make a statement about whether that's what he really believes. Certainly on the basis of what he's written, I need to make a call. What does he mean by religion? If he means that, I can agree or disagree. 
While on the issue of, of truth, Guy makes some comments about the dangers of dogmatism and asks who can say if somebody is right or somebody is wrong. I understand how it's possible that a minority of extremist, extremist religious organisations had encouraged some of its members to behave in unreasonable, socially unacceptable and even violent ways. Dogmatic teachings invariably lead to such outcomes. My comment on that would be rather than just blame universally dogmatic teachings, to rather look at the content of the dogma, because dogma just means teachings, okay? It's what we believe. And so there's Muslim dogma, there's atheist dogma, there's Christian dogma. It's just what we believe. So let's look at the content of the dogma before we just say, oh, it's wrong to be dogmatic. Because I think there are some things we need to be very dogmatic about. We need to be dogmatic about what is right and wrong when it comes to, you know, pedophilia and things like that. I think we can be, afford to be dogmatic about those things. We're to make a judgment and be dogmatic. So let's look at the dogma. Let's look at what people believe, firstly. And secondly, let's look at the character of those who are being dogmatic. Those who, um, because bad dogma, ultimately bad believing, bad beliefs, is going to end up in bad actions. But sometimes even good dogma, Christian dogma, is a victim of unreasonable adherence. You know, there are some Christians right now across the world, and there always have been, who do more harm than good with the truth that they have. They use it as an opportunity to alienate people. Now, I'm sure their, their intentions might be pure, but the way that they approach things is, is dogmatic, and dogmatic you know, has also taken on the meaning of being rude and arrogant and in your face and argumentative and all that sort of stuff. And so where that's the case... Again, that's the problem. It's not necessarily what they're teaching that's the problem. It's, it's who's teaching it and how they're teaching it. Some Christians dogmatically state the Bible is black and white. And I agree with that. You know, the Bible is black and white. But in practice, what it often means is the way I interpret the Bible is right and you can't argue with me. What I believe the Bible says is right and what you believe the Bible says is wrong. It's black and white. If you don't see it, you're an idiot. The Bible is black and white in many things. It teaches the existence of God. It's a black and white. He either exists or he doesn't. The Bible says he does. No shades of grey there. It talks about the fact there's one God. It talks about the fact that God is going to hold us accountable for our sins, etc. Black and white. Easy. However... When it comes to applying our knowledge of some of that black and white truth, things get shady real quick. You know, Jesus had a situation where he was called in to make a, a decision on a woman who'd been caught in adultery. Black and white, she should die. She's an adulterer. Jesus turns it on its head and says, well, okay, let the person who's without sin throw the first stone. Suddenly, black and white, you know, these guys all come barging in. They just know exactly what's going to happen next because it's black and white. Suddenly it went very grey, very quickly. And Jesus doesn't condemn the woman, he doesn't kill her, he says go and sin no more. And he shames those that had been so black and white in bringing this woman before Jesus. You know why it gets grey at times as Christians is because we're not called to religion and regulations, we're called into a relationship with God. And so that which is black and white... You know, the Ten Commandments are an example of black and white. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery, etc., etc., etc. But the, the Ten Commandments are an expression of the heart of God. 
And so the heart of God loves people. And so greater than the black and white, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that, is God loves people. And so that's what comes through when Jesus challenges these people with this woman who'd been caught in adultery. And the challenge for us is to try and discern, knowing what the Bible says, I mean, you know, even in, in church circles, you know, when people mess up, and they always do, how do we deal with people's mess-ups? Because on one hand, you know, the Bible talks about put the, way, put the unbeliever outside the church, and, and it talks about excommunication. On the other hand, it says, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. So are both of those things black and white and easy to determine, or does it kind of get a little bit grey? Because people are involved and because we're trying to discern the heart of God. And so we need to make a decision. We need to ask God, God, what do we need to do here? We need to ask him who knows everything and sees all to help us make right decisions. We need to try and take into, into, um, uh, into consideration perhaps where the person's come from. What, what's their response having been found out? Are they repentant or are they arrogant? Are they, are they like wolves in sheep's clothing or are they sheep who have just messed up? Sometimes it gets a little bit grey. And so again, I'm, I'm loath to stand and, and abuse someone like God who's made some comments and talk about the black and whiteness of Scripture and therefore you know, he should be excommunicated or whatever else people might be thinking in their heads. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is the issue of common ground. He says, if we want others to respect our beliefs and faith, then we must first take the initiative to respect their views and to try to look for common ground. And again, I think common ground between religions is both a good and a bad thing. It's a good thing because it creates a connection point for us. For people from different backgrounds and faiths, if we can find that there are things that we have in common in terms of our belief systems, in terms of our practices, it's a connection point. Again, the danger is that often we we go straight away to the differences and we highlight the differences and we get suspicious and antagonistic and all of those sort of things. But I think we owe it to people to look for the common ground. You know, Muslims are, are by and large quite particular about issues pertaining to holiness. And one of the issues they have with the West is not Christianity per se, but their perception of what Christianity is. They think they, they see Hollywood and all the nonsense that comes out of Hollywood. And they also have this perception of the Christian West. And so they think of Christianity and Hollywood in the same sort of thing. And so if, as your neighbour, when, when they move into your street and live next to you, they're expecting you to be immoral, they're expecting you to carry on like a pork chop, they're expecting you to be arrogant and rude and all of that sort of thing. They're expecting you to hate them because that's what they see on TV. That's their perception of Christianity. If we know that, we can adjust. Hopefully we don't need to make too much adjustment because hopefully we're already living in a manner that's accepting and gracious and kind and looking for the, to make connection rather than to alienate. Does that make sense? So connection can be a good thing. Paul talked about that, you know, won't read it for the sake of time, when he talks about, you know, to the free I become free, to the slaves I become like a slave. I try and become all things to all men in order that I might save some. And so we forego sometimes our freedoms as Christians in order to, to connect with those who don't have the freedom that we have as Christians. And yet for those who are more licentious, you know, Jesus was able to be called a, a glutton and a drunkard because he was trying to connect with those who weren't constrained by religion. And so we need to be able to do the same. The bad thing about common ground, I think, is that it leads to that fatal assumption that all religions are basically the same. We've kind of looked at that already. But containing truth doesn't make something true overall. 
Religions only survive on the truth they contain. The fact that most religions are relatively moral, the fact they talk vaguely about a God, which innately most, you know, most of us are going to acknowledge that's true anyway. We, we do believe in some sort of supreme being. So religions survive on that little bit of truth that they contain. The danger is it's not enough truth to save a person. And we need to know that as Christians. We can't leave them just acknowledging that there's a God out there somewhere. We can't believe them just being happy to do a few religious rituals and praying a few times a day or helping old ladies across the road. It won't save them. We need to know what Christians believe. And we need to use that connection point to help bring others into the truth that we have. You know, Guy spoke about respecting the views of others. Now, again, that's controversial. Respecting the views of others. I think we should respect people. Because it's people that are created in the image of God. Their views, I think views should rise or fall on their own merits. People's views should rise or fall on their If I said to you, I'm starting a new religion, I'm now a Jedi. I've seen Star Wars. I've kind of got a bit of a, a, bit of a hang on, on what they do. And I'm starting a new religion. So if you want to see me afterwards in the cafe, we'll, we'll get together and we'll do this new thing. Is that worthy of the same sort of respect, the same sort of consideration and validation as Christianity? Really? That's what these people that say, we've got to respect everyone's views are saying. They're saying exactly that. It doesn't matter how crazy the origins of this thing were. It doesn't matter how ridiculous the beliefs are. It doesn't matter how disconnected from reality it is. You've got to respect it. No, you don't. You've got to use your brain. Think about whether it's worthy of respect or not. Likewise, you know, as an example, the Book of Mormon. Is the Book of Mormon and its origins anywhere near as credible as the origins and the collation of the Bible as we know it? You look at the, the character of the biblical writings, compare them to the character of Joseph Smith. You look at the fact that there's so many, um, you know, you look at archaeology and you look at um, anthropology, you look at every, the Bible from every angle and you can, you can build a case that this, this book is credible. You can't do that with the Book of Mormon because apparently Joseph found this book and then lost it, these gold tablets. No one's ever seen them. Are they equally worthy of our consideration, really? I mean, yes, they've got some momentum now and Mormons are great people and all that sort of thing. But just because I like a Mormon doesn't mean I need to give credence to what he believes. I need to help him out of what he believes because what he believes, the truth he has, is based on what the Bible says anyway. Christianity is not just a blind leap into the dark hoping for the best. Some people, that's, their, that's what they think about faith. They're, well, it doesn't, you know, just give it a go. Or st- believe something. You know, all you need is faith. No, all you need is faith in something that's true. <laughs> faith, just blind faith, does nothing. Becoming a Christian is a considered decision. And I would challenge any person in this room, if we're a Christian already and we've, we're Christians because we had the privilege of being brought up in a Christian home and we just always believed that's awesome but do yourself a favour ask questions consider what you believe because it will help others if you can articulate why you believe weigh up the evidence is the Bible true? is Jesus who he claims to be based on the evidence? can his claims of being God be substantiated? the resurrection is it just a fairy tale? Or did it really happen? Paul and the apostles, they bet their life on the fact that it really happened. 
They said things like, hey, if this isn't true, we're to be pitied above all people. But it is true. Thanks be to God. How has becoming a Christian affected those I know? Those that have genuinely become Christian, is their life better or worse? I think that can help me make a considered decision on whether I should consider becoming a Christian or not. And so we need to weigh up the evidence. And we also need to weigh up the demands. Because Christianity makes some demands on our life. Christ calls us to follow him. He says things like, take up your cross and follow me daily. And so there are some demands and some beliefs that we need to have. So there's three things that I think are pertinent to us as Christians. Three issues that we need to have, be able to unpack for people. The issue of growth. We need to grow up into him who is the head, into Christ, become more like him. And yes, we sometimes got to let some of the stuff that we held near and dear go because we realise that we didn't have all truth on a certain subject. I know that that's difficult for Christians to do that because anything that we let go of we think is compromise. But we need the word of God to be able to strengthen us in order that we can make those choices. It's about truth. Something that is or it isn't. It can't be both. So let's not get intimidated by the religious pluralism that is out there. The whole universalism idea that all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter what you believe. It does. And let's look for common ground because it's an opportunity to build with people and ultimately, hopefully, bring them across the bridge. Common ground doesn't remove the chasm that exists between man and God, but it can help us build a bridge that ultimately will see people saved. This message isn't about Guy, really, is it? (laughs) And I trust if Guy ever hears this message that he doesn't think I'm having a go at him because I'm certainly not. And I think, again, rather than us reacting... Um, like many Christians have done and getting all offensive to him, I think we'd be better off just actually praying and think, wow, if I was in his shoes, if I had the pressures that he has, if it doesn't matter what I say if it gets misinterpreted, it doesn't matter what I say, I've got enemies. Well, maybe we'd be a little bit more compassionate and a little bit slower to speak and etc. So the message is really about us. Are we committed to growth? Are we committed to truth. You know, definitions are important. We need to know what people believe. And I think it's to our advantage when people, when people make comments, and Jesus was the master of asking questions. When people say something to you that is confusing or confronting, just ask, what do you mean by that? That statement, I mean, if we had the privilege of being able to talk to Guy, we could say, Guy, when you said religion, what do you mean? And suddenly all it's cleared up. You know whether he's still a Christian or not based on his response. And then, maybe, why do you believe that? Maybe, does it make sense? Okay, so you've said that all roads lead to God. So you've got Christianity that claims this, and Islam that claims that, and atheism which claims the other. And you reckon they're all the same. How do you make them all the same? Can you explain that to me? Because I'm, a little bit, I'm not smart enough to work that one out. And just get people to think for themselves. Does what you're talking about work in practice? Ah, all these people from all these different backgrounds just can be able to get along. Is, if it feels good, do it. Does that work in practice? Does that work across the board? Is that conducive to healthy and whole societies? Or are we just going to tear each other to pieces ultimately? 
Let's ask these questions. Let's get people to do the thinking. We don't need to tell them. We don't need to badger them. We don't need to Bible bash them. Let's just ask some questions and get them thinking. And they go away and they think and they know where we are. They know which church we go to, etc. And I think we've got time on our side for the most part. And the, the, the power of our testimony, our life lived before God, is a tremendously powerful thing. That accompanied with the Holy Spirit just gnawing away at them and the, based on the questions that we've asked. Asking whether they still really believe those things in the light of the questions that we've asked. And finally, are we able to make the most of our common ground? This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.